Namaste. So today we take up uh, Collected Works of Sri Aurobindo, Volume 26, The Future Poetry. And uh, as we know that uh, in modern times, which is so much driven by utilitarianism, people often ask, what is the value of poetry? Most still think it is a kind of pastime. But uh, obviously, Shurabindu has done so much labor on it. Not only has he poured so much of truth about poetry, written poetry extensively, wanted to be identified more as a poet than as a philosopher. And uh, number of uh, his disciples turned out to be first-rate poets, uh, even some of those who didn't seem to have a poet in the beginning. So, obviously, there is much more to poetry than we can uh, we surmise, or at least the modern mind surmise. So, um, this is the background of this book, The Future Poetry. Shubhinder gave it a lot of importance. This one book which he, uh, even some of the chapters he has revised in 1949. Though it has not been done completely to his own satisfaction, because he wanted to... Uh, rewrite some of the chapters, write a few others and uh, yet a lot of extensive revision did take place of this book. So there is an importance of this book. Like most of the other major works, this came out serialized in the area from 1917 to 1920. And the occasion for this book was a book written by James Henry Cousins an Irish writer, an Irish uh, writer and dramatist and poet uh, who wrote a book on the new poetry which which he felt is important, which is emerging. And uh, he sent the book for review to Sri Aurobindo. Uh, later on in 1920, he also came to the ashram and had the darshan of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. Uh, he had met Tagore. He, though he was an Irishman by birth, he eventually lived in India and died here, even adopted a English uh, name, uh, Indian name, Jairam. So, he was a very interesting person and Shurabindu naturally uh, took this as an occasion to write uh, a review. He had started as writing a review, but then he expanded much more. He abandoned the review and said it requires a very extensive treatment. So that's how we have the birth of this wonderful book, The Future Poetry. Here, Sri reveals um, every secret of poetry that we ever need to know. So, And not only those who are interested in poetry, because that is one part of it. But those who are, because Sri truth is often rounded, always rounded. So here, those who are keen to know what is delight, what is truth, how does a poet see it, what is the mantra, there is so much emphasis on the mantra. Some of the examples he has taken up for mantra, all these things uh, he brings out in this wonderful book. So it has two parts mainly. One is the future poetry, part one, which is basically 24 chapters. Then part two has eight chapters. And then in this volume, we see that there is a separate section on quantitative meter. So, quantitative meter has been added later on. This was written as part of collected poems, where Shivabindu takes up the problem of quantity in meter, meaning thereby that uh, 
quantity is something to do with you know it's like a mathematical thing but for poetry it is more the ear the sound um so how are we going to really put it strictly speaking in pure technicality so shubhendu discusses the problem especially the quantitative hexameter which uh, is one of the most difficult meters in english poem but it came much more naturally in greece greek poetry but in english poetry people have attempted it like longfellow and few others but it has not come out uh, so well for various reasons and shubhendu takes that up also so that if those who are interested in the technicalities there are terms like dactyl uh, spondy then uh, iambic pentameter all these terms that we often hear if those interested can read that in detail but for most of us the first chapter of part 1 and second chapter of part 1 the mantra and the essence of poetry and then subsequently the whole of part 2 this will more or less cover up some of the things which are most fascinating and for us especially the mantra so what really is mantra mantra is the highest intensity to which speech can be taken up and as we know the stir of creation it started with nad the original vibration of sound so the whole effort of music but more so human speech because human speech is the most capable even more than what we have in percussion instrument and other forms of music it is the most capable of uh, receiving and co- conveying expressing the highest possibilities of uh, or the highest rhythms the rhythm of creation that's why we have you know the power of om the power of word that's why there is so much emphasis so much importance given to human speech so human speech uh, speech itself is known to have several levels as we know the two levels which are hidden to human experience which is vak para vak para vak is the highest possibility the stir and then there is the pashyanti vak so pashyanti vak is a seeing intelligence now the poet's domain goes from beyond the seeing intelligence if there is no seeing intelligence there is uh, of course one can write poetry lot of poetry gets written anyways but the real poetic mind begins when the intelligence is changed from the rational analytical mind which is the average human mind to the seeing intelligence pashyanti vak and of course there are two lesser forms of speech which is madhyama and vaikhari madhyama is what uh, most uh, humanity will use and vaikhari is the outer expression so two are accessible to most human beings and two are hidden so poet draws from a greater sphere and though prose also communicates truth but the advantage of poetry is that poetry catches not only truth as it is but along with delight which is the most important aspect of truth and the rhythm through which creation has manifested so um, the essence of poetry as shubhendu reveals here is rasa the delight so poetry is not just about showing us how things are and good or bad in any way it's not even just to express a religious sentiment or an emotional feeling poetry is to express a soul vision and that's why in fact shubhendu says that most of the spiritual experiences and realizations when people have actually expressed the great mystics 
spontaneously it is in an outburst of poetry because poetry brings some kind of that rhythm and gives a creative joy so the beauty of poetry is that it not only communicates prose also communicates but it tends to fill us with delight the original joy and therefore it has a creative power in it prose can be uplifted to shubhendra himself is uplifted so what shubhendra reveals here are many things which we won't find in classical um poetic um, literature at the same time he gives us the um, reason why we should dwell more into poetry because uh, poetry not only refines us one of shubhendra's famous mantras is uh, or rather para param vakya is that between them art music and poetry are a perfect education for the soul but uh, poetry has this power of creating the kavi uh, kritu he is the one who creates by the power of the word and we see that in shobindo's poetry so it gives us a great uh, insight a peep a glimpse into why we should dwell upon poetry shobindo's poetry and of course savitri is its uh, the ultimate height to which he has taken so it's the soul vision number 1 poetry of course can rise from emotions but it should arise from something much deeper soul vision it must carry the rhythm of the higher worlds at least and uh, it must have the power to communicate to and and include the life otherwise poetry the difference between poetry and philosophy philosophy tends to go into abstraction but poetry is very much connected with life it touches us it uh, stirs us whereas uh, when we read philosophy it tends to take us to higher and higher realms at one point of time the mind becomes silent it's lost in abstractions that is how i often ha- i have personally felt the difference if we may say so between the live divine and savitri so live divine just makes the mind very very silent blank and after a while it it is in a impersonality wide impersonality you can't uh, easily have thoughts after that whereas savitri is different savitri seems like opens all doors and windows of your soul to a manifold delight of being so that is the difference both of course uh, it's not one versus other every book of shobindo is wonderful so these are three four things which shobindo uh, in in part 1 reveals to us the mantra we'll read some passages so in the mantra basically he says james cousin himself says something very interesting that what really is the ultimate uh, truth about poetry so he says it lies in catching something stable behind the instabilities of word and movement so poetry must touch that stable point in in our own language we will say it must have some glimpse of the brahman because brahman is the stable behind all the movements of prakriti so he says something stable something which the human spirit seeks and cannot easily glimpse so poetry must be able to glimpse that height so this is what james cousin speaks of and then shobindo says well this is uh, the mantra which the vedic rishi spoke about and they used to glimpse it so is shobindo suggesting us going back to, to the past poetry say in the veda upanishads kalidas and in the english poets all these are very high standards of poetry but shobindo says no the future will bring a much greater poetry out of the soul vision creative soul vision of the poet so what we are going to see is something much greater 
Another thing it takes away from the mind this idea of associating mantra with uh, certain uh, Sanskrit, uh, you know, syllables or or language of speech. Every language can be lifted to the level of the mantra because language has that power and that capability. And there are two aspects. He speaks about language and speech. One is the word. So when we read a word. So normally we read a word uh, and no, we read it as a, its meaning. So when we read a prose, so when we read a prose, we read it rather flatly, without if somebody else is not reading it. When we read it ourselves, we read it in a flat way. So when we read it in a flat way, what we miss, we miss the sound element. So in speech, for example, when we speak, by the modulation of the sound, we can convey. Different things. So even in normal speech, sound is so important. It adds to the beauty. For instance, there can be soft speech, loud speech, rhythmic speech, even in ordinary speech. Even the same thing. We want to take up poetry. We want to take up poetry. It just a little variation can change everything. Now, how to get that in written form? So poetry uh, gives that opportunity. Because poetry by its nature is rhythm. And rhythm is created by stress, accent, meter. Meaning thereby by, uh, by the accent we stress upon a syllable a little long and a little short. That's how the feet or the meter of poetry is born. So meter of poetry is basically uh, how many feet, how many, I prefer to uh, imagine it like a wave. So how many of these feet are there? So, uh, based on the stress on these syllables, so that's how meter comes into existence and by the accent and the stress, the sound is captured. That's why it's so important, even Savitri when we read, we can read it flat, like we read a prose. It was the day before the God, it was the hour before the God's awake. It was the hour before the God's awake. Now the sound is entering. And sound is the real creative force. It's not so much about word meaning because word meaning comes much later. The ancients were much more receptive to the sound. So that's why sound is so important. Something we are never trained or taught. So sound and word both poetry is able to contain. So that's a very big advantage. So he speaks about the mantra. We'll read of course some passages. Then he speaks about the Essence of poetry. Essence of poetry is rasa. Rasa is delight. So poetry must naturally evoke delight. And if I may add, people often ask, I read Savitri, I don't understand. I read the life divine, I don't understand. If we are able to experience joy in it, then we have got it. In fact, (laughs) we have got it just right. Because it takes us to the land of delight even before the word is born. Or rather the first expression of delight is the creative surge. And it is purely a sound. So it takes us to that land. Then there is of course rhythm and movement which, which um, is important and style and substance. And then the rest of the chapters basically Shobindra deals with how poetry has evolved in English literature. He speaks about the poets of the dawn. Uh, for a long time we see that language was uh, distorted it went into many ups and downs and then 
the new poets not new poets of today but uh, shakespeare wordsworth shelley keats especially shobindra greatly appreciate shelley and uh, meredith chaucer carpenter all these great poets he speaks about them at great length so it's up to us it's all delight but uh, whether you know one wants to how much one wants to get into it especially uh, he speaks about byron wordsworth and most importantly he speaks about as i said uh, he gives a great importance to shelley that his poetry really came from some soul depths so why i'm mentioning these names is that it will be worthwhile reading some of the poems of shelley byron keats and of course time to time he gives the example of uh, kalidas valmiki vyas but this is primarily about the english language and the poetry in english language though when it comes to future he leaves it to in any language the truth can be seen and experienced and and expressed then in part 2 he chapter 1 he, he speaks about the ideal spirit of poetry and he speaks about the five aspects or rather the five sons the ideal lamps of poetry each must be there so there must be truth so poetry is not about uh, just expressing anything and everything and in truth he explains truth very beautifully truth is not just seeing one small portion taking it out of context blowing it out of proportion and uh, something ugly distorted and expressing it that this is realism so this aspect of realism in art same thing happened with uh, uh, with poetry also that a kind of realism came in where people were portraying portraying all that is dark and ugly uh, and distorted well that is an aspect of life and usually it is dealt best by philosophy though even poetry can look deep into it but it must have the soul vision for example when the poet sees something which is uh, i can take an example from one of the hindi poems which i always used to you know when he when tripathi surikant tripathi writes about she is woh um, todti patthar she is um, you know chipping the stone rocks dekha use maine ilahabad ke pat par now this is a factual truth but if he could see within it that who is she it is the divine who is laboring in her and just as she is chipping the rocks maybe something within her own nature is being shaped into a godhead but for that one needs to have a soul vision so even in things it poetry is about anything in life anything we can pick up but it must be seen with this seeing intelligence the soul vision so that is the important part even the most mundane things can be picked up when we read savitri why even collected poem shobindu writes a poem on the cat so how does he write a poem on the cat and he writes it with such beauty and uh, you know one can see the delight and he is describing the cat also even physically that she is uh, she has four feet she is very furry she is lifting up the tail she is standing on the staircase but he lifts that whole thing into a very different domain so important aspect is soul vision so this is truth so truth is not just a kind of superficial seeing truth is not about opinions truth is about what the soul sees that is important then apart from son of the uh, truth poetry must also be connected with life so poetry is not about abstractions and language which takes us into some uh, otherworldly um, 
uh, height where there is otherworldly things can be there but it should always be connected with life and that is something which we find in savitri savitri is not about abstraction even when shubhendra is describing hiranyagar and pragya he brings it to life he doesn't make it brahman the impersonal the vast beyond even when he describes that it is connected with life it's very living connected with life doesn't mean life as we know it but a greater life it must be living convey the sense of something living as we see in adoration of the divine mother how he brings that uh, uh, or in pursuit of the unknowable very makes the unknowable almost within the grasp of the human mind so this is the beauty of poetry that it it must uh, contain within it life it must be living not an abstraction and the third element is spirit the son of spirit the breath of the spirit it must uh, touch the deeper soul within us he, the poet brings the son of the spirit right near to us that is the lever of the poet and if you cannot do it then well poetry can be written that's a different thing but it doesn't really touch us to the deep and here it distinguishes between even religious poetry and psychic poetry so we'll see that there is a lot of religious poetry which in our own literature we have but somehow we are not able to connect to this soul vision it is communicating something it's trying to convey a truth but it's not just about truth it must bring the spirit near to us and then it must also evoke the sense of beauty and delight so that makes the five sons of poetry son of truth son of beauty son of delight son of life and the son of the spirit breath of the spirit so then each of these elements shobindu describes at great length the son of poetic truth the breath of greater life the soul of poetic delight and beauty the power of the spirit the form and the spirit the word and the spirit and more important most important is that who is the poet and who is the listener so the poet is the one who is living in the soul who has seen with the soul vision it's not that the person is permanently living in the soul or on the great heights but those moments when one touches that height or touches that depth that time poetry may be born and it may be one poetry in a lifetime and the typical example shown that one place says of francis thomas poetry the hound of heaven and this one poetry which is sublime really wonderful but it contains a very profound deep soul truth made so living about a seeker who is running away from the sort and the sort that is the divine is chasing him and seeking him much more than he is seeking so it's a beautiful poetry lifted to what heights as far as i know he did not write that kind of thing ever and yet that one poem singles him out among the great poets so even if once that soul vision has taken place that poetry which is touched by it is wonderful so he speaks about all this uh, all these things and then he speaks about the uh, form and the spirit so very often like in music the greatest musicians they know the technique of course but there comes a time when technique is so subordinate they are automatic technique is an instrumentation so technique is like a you know uh, let's say for example when we walk there is a technique there is a science to it but when we walk gracefully it's not about technique 
But the grace that comes through the walk, that becomes so important. And that grace is comes from the human personality. That's why we have these descriptions like walking like a lion among men. Now walk is the same. The If somebody was to analyze the um, you know muscles and the nerves, one would say, well, this is how it is. But there is something else which comes which technique cannot capture. So Shobindo says, yes, of course, the poet must have the technique, must know the technique. But technique is created by the spirit within. And we all know that when we are in a certain state, and when we walk or when we take some, make some gestures, they are spontaneously. So beautiful, so harmonious, so much delightful. It's not that one has to learn the science of gestures and postures, but automatically it changes things. And that's why like it's the same thing I say about mudra gyan. Now mudra is something in dance. You have these mudras. There is so much emphasis on it. And there are mudras which have their effect and people follow it scientifically. But when mother came, she asked her, many of these Mudras were forming in her spontaneous. She was not trying anything. She had not read anything about it. And Shubhinda said, yes, because you have surpassed the limits which these uh, seers of the Upanishads and others. But we normally try to copy it outwardly. And the same applies in poetry. There is a way of writing poetry where we simply try to mix and match and rhyme. That is elementary. So it is one thing to try to rhyme and follow a technique and quite another to bring in this soul element and express it and the rhythm and the everything comes with it. It is like it contains the power. Automatically it builds the rhythm. So this might take little um, two pens, penny for uh, all those who try to write uh, through AI. And there was recently things going around that how AI is writing poetry and how it is even, you know, they have tried with Shurabindo's uh, writings how AI would write well AI would write but AI lacks the soul vision so it's one thing that the AI takes in assimilates based on its understanding of rhythm and meter it will create a perfect meter I, at least when I read it it may be technically nice but it doesn't give delight so that is because it is, its source is not that its source is simply a machine so machine can create technique but the machine cannot give you Delight that comes from the soul vision which the poet adds, and sometimes a little stress here, a vowel there, and that's why mother was so particular. Not a comma is to be changed because the form has come from the spirit. The form is not like a technique. When people were saying, uh, "Ma, I think this comma should be here," from the English language point of view, grammar point of view, and she said, "How do you know that this is how it is? How it is meant to be?" So all this and finally Shubhinda says that in future poetry will be more and more flowing freely from the depths of the consciousness and who knows even new meters may be created because it's just like mother's music. Mother's music doesn't fall into a fixed category and the poetry of the future is going to be like that and Shubhinda is very hopeful that in the future there will be poetry which will just like the Vedic period it will uh, express the power of the mantra, but in new ways and new forms. And both prose writings also will contain that power. So this is uh, broadly about the book. And now I'll read some passages, some very beautiful passages. 
So one of them he says what is mantra. Normally with mantra we immediately think a Sanskrit phrase which is from one of the sacred textbooks. But mantra is something which can be constantly reborn. If we are reborn in the spirit or born in the spirit and that vision wants to take a creative upsurge, creative expression, it will come out as a mantra. That possibility is the discovery of a closer approximation to what we might call the mantra in poetry. That rhythmic speech, so first thing is its speech that is rhythmic, which as the Veda puts it, rises at once from the heart of the seer and from the distant home of the truth. So this is the origin of the mantra. So it must rise. Same thing Shivabindu speaks about prayer. Prayer is not reading a prayer from there and it's okay, we can do that. But prayer must rise from the heart or descend from the heights of the spirit. So that's what uh, becomes a mantra in poetry. That rhythmic speech which, as the Veda puts it, rises at once from the heart of the seer and from the distant home of the truth. The discovery of the word Word of course is that uh, original rhythm, that spandan, that vibration, which must be captured through a body of sound and syllables. After all, word is a convention, you know, that's how words. It's a collection of sounds, frankly speaking. <laughs> Languages started as a collection of sound. So when you use the word, any word. So it is, it is a sound. If you really go into its structure... At the end it's a sound. But sounds get associated over a period of time. Certain sounds coming together, they form a meaning, they give a meaning. And that's how word is, later on word comes to assume very fixed meanings. But in its origin, word was used with a great plasticity by the rishis. Just the same sound with a little bit of stress here and there conveyed a different meaning. So Vedic Rishi is used and that's how they went to the root sounds. In Sanskrit this is still there. The root sounds. So sound is important. The discovery of the word, the divine movement, the form of thought proper to the reality which as Mr. Cousins excellently says, lies in the apprehension of a something stable behind the instability of word and deed. Something that is a reflection of the fundamental passion of humanity for something beyond itself. So this sound must convey that. So realism in art is not showing what is apparent to the eyes. And that too in a highly exaggerated and distorted way. Realism is to bring the real even out of the ugly. It is to bring out that beauty which is hidden, hiding in the, even in the hideous. It is to bring that divine movement which is there in everything. That's what all art should do. It should bring out what is hidden. What is on the surface, human eyes can see. There is no One need not be an artist to paint. It, in fact, it will never be able to capture the original in any case. But where, where the real art comes in is to bring out what is hidden by nature. And if that can be brought out through art, then it becomes truly a masterpiece. So, something that is a reflection of the fundamental passion of humanity for something beyond itself. Something that is a dim shadowing of the divine urge which is prompting all creation to unfold itself and to rise 
out of its limitations towards its godlike possibilities so most important element is that the poet must have access to the seeing intelligence which is found in the intuitive mind so why shobindo spoke about the future poetry is because this age built by reason analysis and materialistic science which robbed us of wonder robbed us of delight robbed us of a direct intuitive seeing of things so that is coming to an end that is there in this book very beautifully and an intuitive age is dawning upon mankind so appropriate medium has to be found to express those intuitions and hence the uh, meaning of poetry a divine ananda a delight interpretative creative revealing formative that delight itself expresses itself interprets forms for us see this is something so interesting this form so when we read savitri one of the things that the mother says and i'm sure all of us have countless experience if one is in a low state feeling sad for some reason you read savitri few lines few passages and it vanishes hundreds of times it may not be a depression like that it may be anything i have seen even people through depression why because it forms what does it form states of consciousness which uh, from that uh, stage in that station where there is no sorrow so that's how you know when we read even from the isha uh, upanishad for example tatra ko moha ka shoka ekatvam anupashyata it automatically takes away any sting of sorrow same way when we read uh, from the gita Uh, that poetic way of expressing that na jayate mriyate va kadachin nayanam chiddanti shastrani nayanam dahati pavaka say it in a different way you know there is a soul within nothing it doesn't die it's a, it's a different thing but when we read it in a poetic way of course that poetry of that order it automatically gives us even momentarily a glimpse of the soul and that is enough to escape that's why in india we have this custom of reading the gita when there is death in the family during bereavement why because it takes away the sting of sorrow it takes away that you know grief inside it's not because of the meaning of the words most people who are listening to it don't understand and yet it has that magical effect so of course in our setting in with uh, with shobindo has given us something so much more so just playing savitri or reading savitri it just removes and i have seen so many instances i have seen even young deaths here here also i have seen yeah, relatively young 50s or early 60s and then you know with the savitri music uh, everything like just goes away savitri words along with sunil das music so they, it it's formative so shivindu speaks over what does it form it forms states of consciousness then it is revealing revealing is very different from uh you know interpretative interpretative is trying to interpret something which is exist and which is beyond uh, it cannot be captured just by words yet it is trying to interpret but revealing is it shows us there is a window glimpse and that's why one of the most favorite passages in savitri for everyone uh, at the head she stands of birth and toil and fate so it reveals as in a glimpse it cannot be described because uh, people may say well you are imagining doesn't matter even imagination can take us higher but it is like momentarily she becomes so real and that's why we have a joy and of course it is creative 
One might almost say an inverse reflection of the joy which the universal soul felt in its great release of energy when it rang out into the rhythmic forms of the universe. The spiritual truth. See, uh, this universe, if we look at it, how it is so rhythmic and moving around each other, it is something so beautiful. And people don't understand it because the pragmatic materialist science loses that even, for example, we are talking about when we have structures. The plan of Auroville, like a galaxy, it's a rhythm, it's a movement. It has a formative power in us. We have the swastika. Swastika is a dynamic movement. So this rhythm which it captures, and it's a movement uh, clockwise. Because that's how all movement should be. Parikrama is clockwise. When you reverse it, then the mother said it is putting the clock back. So this sense of rhythm, beauty... All this is so important, but a typical utilitarian mind will not understand it. It only looks at things from a pragmatic point of view. So this is how this is another passage, and then one: the power makes this power makes the rhythmic word of the poet the highest form of speech available to man for the expression, whether of his self vision or of his world vision. So poetry is the highest intensity, highest form to which human speech can be taken. And given the fact that speech is such an important aspect in human life, we can just imagine if we can recapture something of that original truth in speech, how life is going to change. So I believe uh, even if for nothing else, even for the, from the most practical point of view of uplifting our own speech, by the touch of poetry. It refines because if we are uh, used to this kind of a high uplifting speech, uh, it will be very difficult to uh, come to anything crude and ugly because that speech is of a different order. The soul has tasted. So who hears? It's not the uh, ears and the intellectual mind. They are again machines. The hearer of the poetry is the soul. So that's how poetry should be read and received. Not through the intellectual mind laboring to understand what is the meaning of this, what is the meaning of that. That can be done later. But in the quietude, it is the soul that must hear. It's not even the ears, nor the mind, but the soul within us. It is noticeable that even the deepest experience, the pure spiritual which enters into things that can never be wholly expressed, Still, when it does try to express them and not merely to explain them intellectually, tends instinctively to use often the rhythmic forms, almost always the manner of speech characteristic of poetry. Take any mystic, take the Sufi mystics, take the uh, you know Sikh gurus, take the uh, mystics in India, ancient mystics, take the mystics in uh, in the English. Uh, uh, you know, uh, England, Greece, Homer, all these Milton, take, um, uh, what was his name, uh, Victor Hugo, take uh, another, Einard who has written, all these people, they have had a mystic, Dante, mystic vision, and whenever they try to express, it takes the form of poetry. So poetry has this auto spontaneous, ex because you are touching something, which expresses itself through rhythms. So this is the great power of poetry. And therefore it has a natural urge towards 
the expression of something in the object beyond its mere experiences. Then um, the subject of poetry can be anything, but it should be through seen through the soul and seen through the heights. The mantra, poetic expression of the deepest spiritual reality, is only possible when three highest intensities of poetic speech meet and become indissolubly one. So, first of all, mantra is the poetic expression of the deepest spiritual reality. That's why it is mantra, because the soul of the seer has seen. So, any seer, in whatever language, medium he uses, when he expresses that profound truth, and that's why you see, even, for example, when you read or hear Sikh poetry, it's known as Shabad. I don't know how many have heard, but it is a very beautiful effect upon us. It's so calming, so uplifting. Even Sufis, when you read that poetic expression which has come through a soul vision, it has this capacity of uplifting. And of course, English poetry, the mantra, so he speaks about these three movements which must become one. A highest intensity of rhythmic movement, a highest intensity of interwoven Verbal form and thought substance. So there is rhythm and there is thought substance of style and a highest intensity of the soul's vision of truth. So soul must have seen the truth. The higher it flies, the better will be the poetry, its rhythm. And it must also have rhythm and it must have style. So style and substance, rhythm and the vision of the soul together, they complete uh, in Sanskrit, of course, there are so many of them. Uh, for example, Kathopanishad, if one uh, reads, Agni Riyatheiko Bhuvanam Pravishto Rupam Rupam Pratirupo Babhuva Eko Vashi Sarva Bhutantaratma Rupam Rupam Pratirupo Bahisha Vayu Riyatheiko Bhuvanam Pravishto Rupam Rutam Rupam Pratirupo Babhuva Eko Vashi Sarva Bhutantaratma Rupam Rupam Pratirupo Bahisha then uh, nityo nityanam chetanas chetananam eko bahunam yovidatati kaman tamatmastham yenupashyanti dhira stesham sukham shashwati nitrisham such, such a splendor and if you just connect with it it has that powerful effect suryo yatha sarvalokasya chakshu nalipyate chakshushay bahyadosha Eko vashi sarvabhutantaratma nalipyate lok dukhe nabahya. Of course, plenty of them. All great poetry comes about by unison of these three elements. Now, who were these people who saw this? Who experienced it? Just imagine. Vasudevam sarvamiti yat kincha jagatyam jagat tena tyaktena bunjita magridha kasya suddhanam. Vasudevam idam sarvam. Ye, who, who was experiencing this? And then he expressed it. So there is thought substance, there is rhythm, and there is the vision of the soul. These three things, the higher they rise, the better the power of the poetry or the mantra. This is about the mantra. And then he speaks about the poetic vision of things is not a criticism of life. 
not an intellectual or philosophic view of it, but a soul view, a seizing by the inner sense. And this soul vision is very different from how, you see a child running naked on the streets in a poverty-stricken area. To the materialistic vision it would be Bhukananga, you know, so look at the destitute. The soul vision may see in it Mahadev, freed of all trappings, roaming in delight. It's a question of how we perceive. And then the whole perspective understanding changes. It's not that he doesn't need help or we should not. That's it. But we must understand what is this soul which has taken this kind of form and is running on, you know, on the streets as if it's unaffected, careless of anything. So these are the soul visions which, uh, uh, which is the core of poetry. Soul view is seizing by the inner sense. The mantra too, too is not in its substance or its form a poetic enunciation of philosophical verities. So mantra is not that, you know, it's the same thing. It is in philosophy, it is in poetry, no. And we can take another example like Krishna's float. So, you know, it is not the same thing. It has, I mean, whatever he spoke in the Gita or whatever he would have otherwise spoken when so many kind of counsels and questions and guidance people must have put to him. So it is not just about speaking the same truth. Even the way it is expressed is important because it is wearing a a body or a form, a clothing, a garb which is appropriate to the spirit. That is the difference. And that's why Shurvindu's long sentences, actually it is prose being lifted to poetry because he is as if Writing it in prose because of the necessity. But one can see if we go through it, it is like a river which is undulating, waves leading us through a long body of waves in the Ganges leading us towards the truth. So that is where it has that power. So it is a rhythmic intuition and revelation. So he speaks about the... um, once again about the mantra and the new age which is dawning, the next step of mankind uh, before we can talk about supramental is the intuitive age. And that is happening already. And more and more people are acting from an inner subjective sense which need not always be intuition. But having entered into that domain today or tomorrow, mankind will enter into the intuitive truth of things. What would be the ideal spirit of poetry in an age of the increasingly intuitive mind? That is the question which arises from all that has gone before and to which we may attempt some kind of answer. I have spoken in the beginning of the mantra as the highest and intensest revealing form of poetic thought and expression. What the Vedic poets meant by the mantra was an inspired and revealed seeing and vision thinking. So there are these two faculties which come in the intuitive mind. Four faculties come in the intuitive mind actually. The power of revelation. Thought, there is a revelation. Not a thought over thing. Not even come as a thought structure. But it is a direct revelation which may or may not be expressed in thought. They say aha feeling. A tremendous feeling of delight inside. And then along with that revelation, there is inspiration. Inspiration is 
hearing. So revelation is seeing and inspiration is hearing. So what is seen is expressed through a body of words. That is what the mantra is. Attended by a realization. The mantra is born through the heart and shaped or masked by the thinking mind into a chariot. Look at this, Yobindra's expression. This is prose, but look at where he is taking us. The mantra is born through the heart, not from the heart. It comes from the soul, but it enters into the channel of the heart and just that right emotions enter into it. All these go into shaping the body of the mantra. And what is in the mantra? So, masked by the thinking mind into a chariot of that Godhead of the eternal, of whom the truth seen is a face or a form. So, the thinking mind creates a form, like a chariot, in which the truth which is seen is riding. So, when we read Savitri, that truth which Shurabinda is seeing is coming in a chariot to us. And that's how we can receive it. And in the mind too of the fit outward hearer who listens to the word of the poets here, these three must come together. If our word is a real mantra, the sight of the inmost truth must accompany the hearing, the possession of the inmost spirit of it by the mind and its coming home to the soul must accompany or follow immediately upon the rhythmic message of the word and the mind sight of the truth. So to receive the mantra, one has to be in a state where there is not so much of intellectual discursive activity, but something which directly receives it. The soul is the hearer and it is able to come in contact with the realization or the revelation. So this is the the mantra in other words is a direct and most heightened and intensest and most divinely burdened rhythmic word which embodies an intuitive and revelatory inspiration and ensouls the mind with the sight and the presence of the very self, the inmost reality of things and with its truth and with its divine soul forms and with the divine soul forms of it, the Godheads which are born from the living truth. So that's what the mantra is supposed to do, to reveal these truths to the hearer. And that's why, that is how we must receive all true great poetry. Or let us say it is a supreme rhythmic language which seizes hold upon all that is finite and brings into each the light and voice of its own infinite. For example, we hear about these great gods, God of love, beauty, Bliss in ancient time they had their own names They were godheads given a certain form uh, Body, physical body Often like a human being But now how to come in contact with these gods So in such a poetry There is a possibility of coming in contact with these godheads And these godheads can touch those parts in us Which are ready to be awakened And it is true of all high poetry One of the great verses of um, Guru Gobind Singh who fought against the Mughals and many of us may be aware it was used as a war cry Dehe Siva Ye Varmohe Satkarad Se Kabuna Daro So now you know what is he saying that O Shiva give me the power the boon that I may never flinch from a deed which is true and right 
I must have the power to do it. So what is happening? We may not see Shiva as, you know, he is normally shown in the temples or in other places. But we come in contact with the consciousness of Shiva. Same way when we see, read the poem of Shirobindo, who? Where Shirobindo describes the divine, the unseen divine, who is hidden in everything. And yet through that nature and all its movements, Shirobindo gives us a window glimpse of that divine presence. So this is the power of poetry. And then he speaks about the five eternal powers, truth, beauty, delight, life and the spirit. These are the five greater ideal lamps or rather the five sons of poetry. So this is uh, by and large and I think I'll just read one more passage. There's plenty of passages I had taken out but okay. Hmm. He gives us a hope that all is not yet finished. The speech that opens more constantly the doors of the intuitive self in the caverns of light of a nature has not done all that is to be done. And I think this was one of the projects Shobindo had taken up with some of the disciples. Arjav, Nirod Baran, uh, of course, Amal Kiran. And through some of them, he was trying to open that dimension of poetry. And actually, if we read some of Nishikanto, some of their poems, it's magnificent. And I don't know, you don't find this kind of poetry elsewhere. I mean, I can say that having read their poems, and I'm sure anybody who has read some of Amal Kiran's poem where he says that, you know, the muse is wanting, praying to Shurabindo to use his hands to express herself. And I think this book itself is an example. The muse, the goddess of poetry must have come and said, please reveal my own truth. So all that he is revealing is really a priceless treasure. So he says it is not yet over. The speech also has to be found that shall come by the rending or removal of the golden lid between our intelligence and the effulgent supra-intelligence. So that time the lid was not yet rent as we know. So he says that is going to create a new kind of speech. And the mother spoke about it. A new language, a new rhythm, a new understanding and one of the signs of that speech will be that it will always carry delight. That's how one can understand the truth which has been seen above and the truth as is seen by our limited uh, senses. And effect a direct and sovereign descent and pouring of some absolute sight and word of the spirit into the molds of human language. That will take hold of the human mind and express itself through a body of words and sounds of human language. So that speech is the speech of the future or let us say that it is already happening. It is rare. Perhaps in some future time it will become more and more common. And if speech changes, if speech is transformed, this much I know that most of the quarrels will vanish from earth. 
A lot of it is simply because speech is expressing the crudest, the vulgar forms. And as the mother said, to um, express speech, uh, use speech for gossiping and expressing things which are crude in a language which is slanderous is like spiritual suicide. We may equally say to use speech as a means of ascension, to express speech which is rhythmic and beautiful and carries a vision of truth is one of the means for human nature, human consciousness to rise to the heights. And that is the great importance and significance of reading the scriptures because it helps us in the ascension of the soul to that level from where these truths have been born. And while it can be done through prose, through spiritual philosophy, it is best done through the medium of poetry.